0: Setting your child's spiritual trajectory on this edition of Truth in Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. This week on the podcast our Communications Coordinator Taryn Defevers was able to catch up with Pastor Mike Fabares. Mike is the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church in South Orange County, California, and he's been in pastoral ministry for more than twenty-five years. He's committed clearly to communicating God's word verse by verse, and encourages his listeners to apply what they have learned to their daily lives. Pastor Mike is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, the Talbot School of Theology and also Westminster Theological Seminary in California. Pastor Mike has heard on hundreds of radio programs across the country on the Focal Point radio program and has authored several books. So let's listen in on the discussion between Taryn and Pastor Mike as they talk about setting your child's spiritual trajectory.
1: Thanks, Dale. Pastor Mike, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great
2: to be here. Thanks, Taryn.
1: Well, today we're going to talk about parenting and particularly about discipling your children. Pastor Mike has two young adult men who are now married. He has a a young daughter, and he has gone through seasons, various seasons of, of parenting and discipling his children. And we want to gain wisdom from him today as he talks about parenting and discipling your children. The first question I'd like to ask you, Pastor Mike, is how did you set up a spiritual trajectory in your home for your kids? Yeah,
2: well, it's hard for us to ever set a trajectory that we ourselves are not on. So I think so much of what we think about in terms of discipling our kids, even as Jesus said, I mean, every disciple when he's fully trained will be just like his teacher. So you've got to make sure that these issues of what you're concerned about in your kids' lives spiritually— are vibrant and happening in your life? I mean, that's really where it starts. Do you have the kind of passion for Christ, and is it there expressing itself through worship and, and, and Bible study and godliness that you want to see in your kids? Uh, sometimes we want our kids to do as we say and not as we do, and uh, we just need to recognize though well, there's a lot of active elements to discipling our kids We've just got to make sure that we are really allowing God to disciple us and even people in our church to disciple us so that we're passionate about the things that uh, we really want to see developed in our children. So, you know, first and foremost, to, to disciple our kids, we've got to make sure that we are growing and vibrant disciples ourselves. That's good.
1: For our, our listeners today, many of them want to see their own kids or they're a pastor and they're trying to shepherd families and in leading their families well in bible reading discipling their kids even teaching them the gospel so maybe we can just start with the foundation of the gospel how can a parent teach their child the gospel
2: Yeah. Well, if you just think about the the foundational things that we all need, we need to make sure if we're going to actively disciple our kids that the Bible is central in our house. We need to be talking about it. We need to be studying it. We need to be discussing everything through the lens of Scripture. And so parents just can't think that Sunday school is going to solve the problem or their Awana program at their church or if they send them to Christian school or even if they have a curriculum that they use if they're homeschoolers. None of that is going to substitute for, for parents that really are are Describing, discussing, and analyzing the world through the lens of Scripture. So we need a Bible-saturated home. Uh, we need a home that shows our dependence upon God through the expression of our prayer lives. Uh, you know, we we cannot possibly have God be the priority in our home if prayer is not an active part of our parenting. I mean, and I don't just mean sitting in private and praying for our kids, which we all do if we love the Lord. We love our kids. We're always going to be praying for them, or at least often, I trust. But praying with our kids and. And by that, I mean, my wife and I were not in the habit of, you know, having Johnny, I say Johnny is the generic name, of course, one of my kids, you know, Taryn is named John, but, uh, you know, having my kids pray, we're not going to, and I think some parents think that's so cute, have their four-year-old, five-year-old, you know, try and stumble out some prayers and I'm not against them praying, but. I'm talking about leading them in prayer, praying in the mornings, praying at the mealtimes, praying when we drop them off at school, praying when we're, you know, before we go to Little League practice, praying with them in the car as we're driving to church. The prayer life that we want to see our kids develop one day, we need to express and be very transparent about our prayer life. So the scripture has to be clear, the the the, the prayer life needs to be expressed in our actions and our behavior and our habits. And you, you mentioned the gospel, Taryn. The gospel, think about it, is predicated on the fact that we have a problem. And here's where we we go wrong so often as parents. We see these kids, and if we believe anything their grandparents say, we think they're just this bundle of, of joy. Parents should know that they're more than just uh, you know a, a, an angel drop from heaven, of course. We, we, we have a sin problem. That's what the gospel is predicated on, right? The sin problem needs to be understood. It needs to be, a big big concern for us as parents. In other words, our kids are not born neutral. Our kids are born, according to Romans chapter 5, uh, with the effects of the fall in their own hearts. They're born alienated from God. So the sin problem is bigger than we think. And so if we're going to talk about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and Taryn, you've heard me preach on this many times, we, we can't get the good news of the gospel to mean anything until we understand the bad news of sin. And sin is more than just a naughty streak in our children. Sin is a real issue our kids need to understand, uh, and I think there are many ways to help our kids recognize their need for Christ by showing how uh, we are not in fellowship with God. We need to see our sin for what it is and confess our sin and agree with God about our sin. And the first move our kids make toward recognizing that or even saying, you know, I want to be pro-Jesus or I want to be a Christian like you is not just to immediately say, well, any move toward Christ is you know, game over. Spike the football. You know, they're saved now. And realize that the, the process of discipleship to the place of genuine repentance can take many, many years. Uh, and and we need to keep focusing on the fact and revealing the fact that our hearts, you know, without Christ, are are, are they're they're desperately wicked and sick and deceitful, and they need to be remade. Uh, the the doctrine of regeneration so often neglected today. I think in our Christian books and and preaching, but we need to recognize what a miracle that is, what a big deal that is, and we are praying for that. We're never going to see people born again, as Jesus put it to Nicodemus in John 3 until we really help our kids to see they have a sin problem. And there's a way to do that without exasperating our kids, right? We don't just want to sit there and hammer on the fact that you're a wretched sinner, but we do want them to get to the fact of celebrating grace at one point in their lives where they can say that God saved a wretch like me and really mean that. So there's a, a lot that goes into a gospel presentation that is learned and developed in the home when mom and dad are really careful to reveal the greatness of God and the problem of sin and the redemption that's found in Christ. Because any kid can be pro-Jesus, right? Any kid can go to church and say, wow, mom and dad are into Jesus. They could be pro Lenin or Marx or pro-Trump or whatever our home is, right? Any kid can parrot that. But what we want is kids that realize that Christ is the solution and the answer to the problem of sin, which means they need to see the bigness and greatness and holiness of God the, the difficulty of, of seeing ourselves as, as uncomfortable as it is as lost sinners, and, and then Christ becomes precious. And then the the goal of seeing our hearts drawn to the Savior as, as the solution to our sins uh, becomes the answer. So, you know, there's so much that goes into that, a daily constant um, instilling of those things. And um, my wife and I have tried to when our kids were young, to make the habit of every single day, doing more than just reading the Bible together, which we did and and certainly required them to do uh, from the youngest of ages. As soon as they could read, they were reading on their own. We were keeping them accountable for that. But to read good Christian biographies, to read good Christian books, to read books that help our kids around the breakfast table understand uh, the greatness of God, the the depth of sin, and the greatness of Christ and what he has done for us. So you know, having a good library that's age appropriate, that's not just picture- Books about Bible stories, which are good, of course. We need to know the story and narrative of the Bible. But the real theme of the Bible, right, uh, that needs to be uh, somehow communicated through the things we're reading to our kids, celebrating in our own hearts as we read our own books and talk about them at the dinner table. So, you know, so much goes into that, but ultimately getting them to the place uh, where I think there's that crisis of recognizing I'm not saved because I grew up in church. I'm not saved because I am pro-Jesus or went to summer camp or memorized my verses at the kids club at church, but because I really desperately see the need for Christ and I've cried out to God in repentance and faith. And that may... Not happen as soon as you want it to, mm-hmm. uh, and that's okay. Encourage their moves toward Christ, uh, but recognize that sometimes we slap this assurance on them as soon as they pray a prayer or walk an aisle or say, "I want and I want to, I want to go to heaven when I die," and we start slapping them on the back, and they think, "Oh, that's all there is to it." You know, I, I don't really need to see that I'm a bad person. I've added Jesus on as as kind of the, the badge, the club badge that I have at my church. And uh, that's why I think so often the stats are so scary, but it depends on who you read on the stats. There's many different surveys, but up to 80 or 85% of the kids that grow up in church, by the time they're 20, they check out and never come back. And as Jesus said, you know, they, the real Christianity is born out. Uh, Hebrews chapter three makes very clear, because we endure and and real conversion, real regeneration is going to last. So uh, we know that a lot of kids think they're Christians when they're growing up in Christian homes in church, and they're not actually Christians. And so parents, unfortunately, are complicit in that when they're too quick to slap their kid on the back and go, hey, I'm glad you're on the team now because you made some pro-Jesus comment in our home. So being sensitive to know there's more to it in terms of that crisis of recognizing our problem and uh, and to encourage them uh, without, you know, with a healthy skepticism, um, I just think that's so critically mm-hmm. important. A lot of great Puritan writings about how, you know, we ought to take as suspect, any kid's expression of piety. And I, I just think that is so healthy for us. And you don't hear much of it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple books out there. I think modern books that, that touch on it, but, um, we need to have that healthy skepticism. My wife and I always were talking with our kids about, you know, when you become, you know, a, a genuine follower of Christ. And and when you have your heart changed by the Spirit, and when you uh you know, become a a, a, a devoted follower of Christ where Christ has invaded your life. I mean, that was always a discussion, like this is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And even though they had made moves toward Christ, even though they were, you know, active in church and and even in service as little kids, uh Uh, And thankfully, all three of our kids have made professions of faith. Two are now in ministry full time. And uh, my third, my daughter, is uh, still in high school, but, uh, you know, actively involved in ministry and has been... Uh, very clear about our testimony, at least mm-hmm. for the last uh, three years or so. And, mm-hmm. and and we see fruit of real conversion, but we could have slapped them all in the back when they were four and said, Oh yeah, you're pro Jesus. You're on the team. That's not popular today because mm-hmm. people have a hard time thinking that maybe their seven-year-old isn't really right with God uh, and doesn't really see the depth of their sin problem. So um, those things I think help us get the gospel clarified in our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. I want to circle back to um, a couple practical
1: strategies you alluded to. One was, Having good Christian biographies in the home. You do that at the breakfast table. Mm-hmm. Is there some, yeah. a couple of books that have been favorite Christian biographies for your
2: family? You know, Warren Wiersbe's books, uh, even his book Walking with Giants, you know. And, of course, there's a lot of kids-appropriate books, too. But I think of those books. They're so well-researched. Warren Wiersbe recently passed away. Uh, I think an underrated writer. So good good and engaging in his writing. And, uh, you know, he's written books on, you know, 10 Christians or 10 Christians, everybody should know, or hundred Christians. I'm slaughtering the title here that, you know, every Christian should know. Um, you know, those books are helpful, uh, and they're well-written and, but walking with giants is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. that he wrote. And at the end of every chapter, he's got examples of, biographies from the people he's sketched out uh, that often led us to kind of find those biographies and read them. And I think some of the basic missionary biographies are helpful, you know, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, and we would read those kind of age appropriate pared down biographies because they they see us giving our lives for ministry and the gospel and the church. And, and we want to read and hold up as heroes, you know, those, those missionaries, you know, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a great, uh, you know the, these kinds of of thriving uh, you know uh, pioneering folks that were going to go give their lives uh, for Christ and and um Jim Elliot I think of others we've read to them to me, that's going to be the only place they're going to get that, right? Even at church, sometimes people talk about their favorite sports hero or, you know, their favorite musician, or even if it's a Christian, you know, I don't know, songwriter, or, mm-hmm. you know, those are great people, but we really want to model for them that we hold in the highest esteem, uh, those that, as Paul did, who spend and are expended for the souls of other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, you yeah, know, we, we had a whole book shelf full of them. If my wife were here she could give yeah. you a ton of them, but mm-hmm. um you know we have a little bookshelf I built right next to the kitchen table and we would just stack books on there and pull them off and usually have the one we're reading sitting on our on our kitchen table every morning. Yeah. That's a great idea. I should take my Christian biographies
1: and set them by the dinner table. It's a good thing. It's, it's an excellent thought. Another thing that you guys have done at the dinner table has been to I believe if I'm remembering correctly, you would take postcards from mm-hmm. from church members, right. missionaries, and you would contain them in a box or, right, or basket a box. and yep. you would before every dinner build it into the discipline of having dinner
2: yes. that we're gonna pray for someone else as That's a family it. before we start our dinner. You must have a camera in our our kitchen because right next to those that little bookshelf I built is a box with all those Christmas cards. And we encourage people, uh, you know, we have a rather large church, so we get plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an excellent idea. We said to we say to them, you know, we're gonna keep your Christmas card if your picture's on it. And it's become a trend. A lot of people do it now, but we'd like to encourage our church to do that because then we take those cards and uh, take out a stack of them, you know, depending on whether how quickly our dinner is going to get cold, you know, maybe three or maybe five and uh, depending on what my wife has cooked and and we just pray through those and, Mm um, thank God for those people. We get a chance to talk about people in our church and say, you know, they're involved in this ministry or they're doing this, or this guy's got this health challenge, and then we pray for them. And then not too long ago, we took some pictures off the wall that we had in our upstairs hallway, and um, we bought this weird thing that looks like a frame that has these like clotheslines on it with little pins, and we put... Uh, the cards, when we're done praying with them, we start to just decorate our hallway with those Christmas cards. So that was another thing. I said, we need to put these up because once we pray for them, we kind of put them in the other box. We have a box we haven't prayed for in a box we pray for, but now we're starting to put them in the hallway Which is a great thing, I think, because then we walk by them even Mm -hmm. after we've prayed for them and think of the people that we love and the people that we serve and the people that we, uh, you know, have been praying for. And, you know, we have one kid left in the house, but, you know, she walks by those pictures every day and thinks, oh, yeah, we prayed for those folks at the dinner table. I just think that's another spiritual discipline that's Mm -hmm. very important. And the other thing, speaking of prayer, Taryn, it's uh, praying thankful prayers. It's easy to be negative in our day and to teach our kids that we're going to God just to get the stuff that we want out of God. Mm -hmm. And of course, God invites us, right, to give us this day our daily bread. But we want to be asking God. He takes pleasure in being a provider for us. But um, I think a thankful prayer life in our homes is critical. They need to hear us, our kids do, as they grow up, hear us speaking real genuine words of thanksgiving about all kinds of things. Not just thanks for this meal, you know, but God, thanks for what you've 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 done here in this last week. We always did something where we would leave on any trip that was any of any distance, we would always pray in the driveway before we left. And I'd always try to lead the prayer about, you know, and God, hopefully you'll get us back right here to this spot. And, uh, and when we drove back to the driveway and got to that spot, we would always park before we opened the garage and, and, and just thank God for our Mm -hmm. trip. Thanks for getting us back here. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for providing for us. Thanks for the money to put gas in our car. And, you know, those are the kinds of things I hope impressed our children with, you know the the genuine reliance that we have on a God who gives us all good things, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's more than just praying to God. God bless the missionaries and help us with our stuff. Uh, you know, get help us with our homework or whatever we can ask for, which are good things. But to be a, a prayerful family that really works on thoughtful, specific Thanksgiving. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Pastor Mike. One last
1: resource I want to I want to talk about before we wrap up. You wrote for your for your children, and for your church, a Bible survey for kids to help them, even before they get into school, to have a simple understanding of every book of the Bible. Could you explain that resource? We're going to include that in the show notes. Okay, yeah,
2: that's interesting you bring that up. Uh, Bible survey for kids, I you talk about writing it for the church. I wrote this initially for my family, uh, my children, and when they were young, probably four years old, My oldest was four, and I wanted to teach them something about how the Bible books fit together, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then teach them something about it. You know, I want them to be able to know that Nahum has a story and Isaiah has a story and, you know, what's so important about Deuteronomy. So uh, I put this together, and then I was going to preach a series on parenting at one point many years ago. And one of my pastors said, you know, you should give them something that helps them put this into practice. If you want them to, teach the Bible in their homes. How do you do it? So I thought, well, I know how I do it. And so I rushed to throw together in print the things that I did in my own house. So this is really what got codified into this book is uh, it's a workbook and a student workbook, and it's got cards you cut out and put on a bulletin board. And I show a schematic as to how to put them up. Uh, You know, it's kind of involved, and yet it's very simple when you really get into it and you see what it is. And it gives you one uh, really discussion about every book of the Bible. So it takes 66 days. If you do it once a week, it'll take 66 weeks. Um, but it gives the kids a chance, even at the youngest ages, three, four, five, six, to be able to get a handle on how the Bible fits together. And I got mm-hmm. so many people writing me and telling me, I went through Bible survey for kids. I learned, you know, as much as my kids did, because it really helps parents too think through How does this all work? What's the timeline of of biblical chronology and history? And uh, it's very simple, though, if your kids are young. Gives them a chance to color and draw and uh, just helps them think through the Bible. Bible survey for kids, and yeah, it's out there. You find it on Amazon or elsewhere on our Focal Point website. That's our radio ministry. But uh, maybe some people will find that helpful. Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Mike, so much for joining us
1: today.
0: You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. You know, we have opportunity to answer questions here on the Truth and Love podcast, and nothing delights us more than to make sure that we're answering questions that are relevant to where many of our listeners are. Can I encourage you that if you have a question or would like to get a question answered on the Truth and Love podcast about some sort of counseling case or a biblical answer to a life situation that you're dealing with, or just some sort of question that you have about counseling in general, how do I deal with this issue from the Scriptures? Can we make ourselves a resource to you? Would you ask that question to us? And you can send that question to info at biblicalcounseling.com. So for more information on the resources that you heard about on today's podcast, please visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.